But let's have a word of prayer. Father, for the next few moments, as we minister this word, we ask you to speak to all of our hearts. Prepare us more and more for the time frame in which we live. We love you and we honor you. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Well, Matthew 24 describes the period of time that will occur just before the return of the Lord. The first 13 verses, you can see, outline several significant events. It says in verse number five, there will be many people coming saying that they are the Christ. A lot of people are going to be deceived. Even goes so far to tell us that there will be wars and rumors of wars. And it says, when all of these things come to pass, the end is not yet. All the way unto verse 13, there are a number of different scenarios that will play out. Believers are going to be persecuted. False prophets are going to arise in verse 11. But he says in verse 14 that the gospel of the kingdom will be preached. That means as long as God has believers on planet earth, there will be people declaring what thus saith God. Now we need to know that because the gospel is going to be preached, the spirit of God is going to continue to bring people to salvation. I know Paul tells us in Timothy that there's going to be a falling away from the truth and from the faith. But simultaneously, there's going to be those that will be drawn to the truth. And the scriptures make that very plain. So this particular chapter, just like Mark 13 and Luke 21, explains to us the various events that will occur before he comes. The Lord is very plain in this chapter. He doesn't want anybody setting any dates. He says nobody knows the day nor the hour. In chapter 25, he illustrates that with several different parables so that no one will spend time trying to predict when he will come. But surely you know that there have been people over the past 1,500 years that have tried to set dates when they believe the king is coming. And I'll take the time and slowly tell you about some of these people. Back during the era of the church fathers, there were three church fathers that predicted that in the year 500, Jesus would return. Even back in the year 1000, there was a pope that had declared Jesus was going to come at that time. There was a person named Sandro Botticelli who in 1504 believed that he was living during the time of the tribulation and that the millennium had begun three and a half years earlier in the year 1500. If you know anything about what the scripture says about the millennium, you know this isn't it right now. The Bible says it'll be a time of peace. But in 1694, Johann Zimmerman said that the millennium would begin in that particular year and that Jesus would return. It hasn't occurred. There was a a sailor who said that in 1793, 
Jesus would return and then he, his name was Richard Brothers, he was committed to an insane asylum. And then there was a 64-year-old self-proclaimed prophet who said that Jesus would come soon because she was pregnant and carrying his child. Over and over again, we've seen people deluded by date setting. Over and over again. 1844, William Miller, he predicted that the Lord Jesus Christ would return. When it proved false, his followers left him and started the Adventist Christian Church and the Seventh-day Adventist Church, who has predicted several dates regarding the coming of the Lord. Charles Taz Russell, who was the founder of the Watchtower Society of the Jehovah's Witnesses, calculated that 1874 would be the year of Christ's second coming. And he pr proclaimed there would be an invisible return during that year and that the resurrection of the saints would occur in 1875. You know as well as I do it didn't happen Mr. Smith, the founder of the Mormon church, said that in 1891, that would be the end of the age, that the scroll would roll up and that the king would come. So over and over again, we've had to hear this. And we've discovered that people are never content until they can put a date on this. Some of you will remember Edgar Wisenant, who published that book, 88 Reasons Why the Rapture Will Take Place in 1988. Harold Camping, who was the manager of Family Radio, he predicted in 1994 Jesus would come, and he wasn't done. When it didn't occur, he predicted that the Lord would return in 2011. So here we are now, presently, still here on planet Earth, and over and over again, we still see the date setting. Back in 2015, multitudes of people were saying on television and on radio and in magazines that with the appearance of the blood moons, you can expect Jesus to return. Boatloads of money were made off of that particular event, but yet we're still here. According to Jesus, no one knows the day nor the hour, but only the Father. And to be quite honest, the scripture says we're to occupy until he comes. Since no one knows today, we should live prayed up, packed up, and ready to go. We don't need to try to tell people he'll be here on any particular day. Our role simply should be to proclaim the gospel and tell people about the king. Can you say amen? These things won't ever change. Now, Jesus takes the time to use a past event to foreshadow what's going to occur in the future. And this is why he said, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be at the end. Now, if you open your Bible now to Genesis chapter 5, you'll see in verse 29... He was called Noah because his name means he shall comfort us concerning our work and the toil of our hands because the ground which the Lord had cursed was very difficult for them to plow. Noah's name means comforter. 
Well, Jesus emphasized this particular story because he wanted his listeners to know that he believed the story of Noah and the ark to be true. There are a lot of people in this world don't believe the flood story. They don't even think that God would wipe out planet Earth and then start over again with one family. But that is exactly what Jesus is attesting when he cites this particular story. Now, this man Noah was a preacher of righteousness. People didn't listen to him, but he still preached the word of God as he understood it. I think when we consider this, this is a very, very important point. Because the time frame in which we're living in, we see people turning away from truth over and over again. Noah tried to reach his generation. He was incapable of convincing them of the truth of the judgment to come. And by the time they realized it was happening, the scripture says the flood was taking them all away. Now Jesus says it's going to be the same way. This man preached the gospel, and he told folks about the kingdom, and people still didn't listen to what Jesus said. You consider the miracles he did all around Israel, you would have thought the whole nation would have chased him everywhere he went. Sometimes they followed him because of the food. Many times they followed him because of the miracles. But at Calvary's cross, I'm telling you, there wasn't a crowd standing on that hilltop. The further he got to death, the crowd thinned out. And the more you walk with God and draw closer with him, you'll find you'll lose a lot of friends and acquaintances. They'll go in their own different directions. But you have to be willing to walk with God. Now, what else do we learn, though, about this particular time frame? Some people have read in Genesis 6 where it says the giants being in the earth that the sons of God came to the daughters of men and bare children, so they have assumed then that these must have been relationships between angels and human beings, and that they produced a race of people called giants. But let's look at the text. Genesis 6 verse 1, it came to pass when men began to multiply. He's talking about human beings. Notice what he says in verse number five. God saw the wickedness of man, that it was great in the earth. Look at verse number seven. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created. But then look again at verse number 13. And God said to Noah, the end of all flesh is come upon me. And then if you look at chapter 7 and notice verse number 4, it says, For yet seven days I will cause it to rain upon the earth, forty days and forty nights, and every living substance, every living substance, the water is going to kill the humans. It's going to destroy them. An angel or a spirit cannot be destroyed by water. Notice verse 23. And every living substance was destroyed. Now somebody might say, well, it seems to me 
that if we had giants in the earth, then it had to have been because of the relationships between spirits and people. But folks, you've got to remember, Jesus said in another location that angels don't marry and are not given in marriage. That is to say that an angel cannot produce semen that is necessary for the production of a child. It's an impossibility. And the only place we ever have found a story where you have spirits and humans copulating and having babies is either in ancient Greek and Roman literature or in some book that's not a part of the Holy Bible that people have tried to dig into. Giants were in the earth in David's day. And giants were in the earth in Caleb's day. And I wouldn't doubt that if you could bring some of the people from ancient times to where we are right now, they think some of our folks that are seven foot five, seven six, and seven seven are giants also. So, in terms of the Bible, I want you to know that in ancient times, there was no physical relationship between a fallen angel and a human that produced babies. That is not what Moses is trying to give us in the book of Genesis. However, in the days before the judgment came, notice verse 5, God saw the wickedness of man that it was great. Can you imagine a world so bad that even God is sorry that he made man? A place so full of iniquity where the thoughts of the heart are evil continually. Now, you and I, we're able to think carnal thoughts, and we have thoughts many times that are ungodly, but you have the ability to change your mind and think about something else. But imagine generations of people 24 hours a day or every moment that they're awake, they're constantly imagining vain things and wicked things. Typically, what's in the heart is going to eventually make its way out of the mouth. And whatever is conceived in that mind, you give it a little bit of time, it's going to manifest through our behavior and our conduct. Some little kid laid on his back in his yard and stared up into the skies and said, I wonder what it would be like to be up there on the moon. And then somebody one day was able to put it all together so that the shuttles could make their way up to the moon and somebody could step out there and walk. Somebody dreamt one day about what it must be like to put some kind of, some kind of automobile or rolling uh, mechanism on Mars. But somebody put it together and we were able to put a small little vehicle of transport on Mars that was capable of taking pictures. So the mind very often produces those things that will precede what we are involved with in our behavior. So the scripture says very plainly that in Noah's day, the thoughts of their heart was evil continually and everybody was marrying and they were divorcing and they were eating and they were drinking. Now you don't have to be rich to get married or to eat. There have been plenty of people around the world that without any kind of wealth have gotten married. And a good many of you in here probably, when you got married, you weren't wealthy at all or didn't have anything. 
but it didn't keep you from getting married. When Tiff and I married, I owned a sea bag, a Bible, a hymn book, and finally bought a little blue car that I had out here. And some people around the world have gotten married and had even less than I had, and I didn't think I had anything. But even in cultures where people are extremely poor, you will find that they're still eating something. They're still drinking something. There are cultures where people have learned there's certain insects that you can eat. Tiff and I sat one time with a man, and we were in a restaurant at about midnight, and they had the window open. We were the only ones in there, I think. We had just flew in. And so as we were sitting there, I started seeing all these little flying things coming in. And I said, oh, my, I, I was wanting to signal to somebody to please close the windows, but I didn't say anything. And then pretty soon, they, they're, they're flying and they're landing on the tables near us. And, I mean, then there were 20, and then there were 100, and then it looked like there were three or 400, and then pretty soon they're flying towards Tiffany's hair. And, I mean, then they're down on the floor, and she's scratching her legs, and then our food came. And they're hitting the table, and of course, by now, Tiffany has, has pretty much wanted to just go to the room. But she's toughing it out because she's sitting there, sitting there with me. And we said to the, the host pastor with us, we said, you know, th this isn't really comfortable for us. He said, but, but uh, Bishop Darrell, he said, this is protein. We eat these. I said, these little flying things. And sure enough, he reached there, pulled the wings off of one, and stuck it right in his mouth. And at that point, Tiffany said goodbye and made her way straight to the room. And she was done. So all I'm saying is, in the last days, there will be people that will be marrying, giving in marriage, and they will be drinking and eating regardless of what anybody says. There will always be a culture that's going to continue with a lifestyle that doesn't always include God. And Noah's culture was consumed with personal desires. How many people do you think there are today that are not interested in God? There are a lot. When you drove down here to church today, you passed by hundreds of people that could have been in the house of God somewhere, but have chosen to stay at home. And when you come in the future, you'll still drive past the homes of many people that could really use a strong dose of Jesus. They're fighting behind closed doors. There's trouble in those homes, difficulties with teenagers and with kids, people scratching their head trying to figure out what to do. And God has the answer. Noah preached to a generation that didn't want to hear what he had to say. He was saying to the people, turn from your iniquity, preaching to the giants, repent and come back to God. But they didn't want to hear what he had to say. So the days before the judgment, people weren't listening. Now we hear a lot of things on television today, but we don't hear a lot about God. But that doesn't change the fact that God wants us to think about him. He wants us to have him on our, on our minds. There did come a day, however, when everything changed. In verse 14 of chapter 6, God spoke to Noah and said, make an ark of gopher wood. Now consider this. He's got to build a very huge building that likely has never been seen before in the earth. He has to create something that the casual human mind has never even conceived. 
We, they conceived evil things, wicked things, but he has to think about how to put together an ark of salvation. I have no idea how long he would have been working on that, but can you imagine going out in your yard and beginning to work on something so massive and so huge? I have no idea how much money it would have costed him. God didn't say anything to him about a budget. God simply told him to build it. And he was out there for years swinging that hammer as people were walking by looking at him. And they said, Noah, what in the world are you doing? He said, I'm working out my salvation and my family's salvation. You ought to repent and join in. Come help me. I've got other things I'd rather do, Noah. It just seems to me like whatever it is that you're making, this contraption, it's not even going to be needed at all. Why would you waste your time with something like this? Besides, we can all go down to the beach and have a good time. Leave that alone and come hang out with us. But the man of God continued to follow through year after year, even when people laughed at him and they mocked him. See, people are not always going to understand why you're faithful to church or why you're faithful to raise your children to love God, why you read Bible stories to them, why you were interested in making sure that they had some kind of commitment to the king. There will always be people who don't understand that. But you need to know that when you're doing that and busying yourself with the word of God, you're working on your own salvation. You're ensuring that you get your family members into the household of faith also. This man, Noah, was diligent. He never allowed the words of other people to discourage them. Have you ever done that? Have you ever let other people's conversation keep you from serving God? Has anybody ever said to you, well, I'm not going to church. The church is full of nothing but hypocrites. Why in the world would I want to go to a place like that? You know the typical response. If you think it's full of hypocrites, come on down and join us. We could use one more. One more is not going to bother us at all. But this man Noah was faithful. But finally in chapter 7, verse number 1, God spoke to Noah and said, Come into the ark. It's at this point where he and his family have heard the word of the Lord. Get ready to get into the ark because in seven days, judgment is coming. For the next week... Noah, his wife, his daughter-in-laws, and his sons were gathering in all the animals that were clean and unclean. Two by two, taking them into the ark. Noah was grabbing these particular beasts, leading them up into that ark that he had prepared. And if you thought the people were laughing at him when he was building it, what do you think they thought of him when he started bringing those animals up in there? said, Noah, don't you realize that that is an ark and that's a container that you're going to bring all of these creatures in there and they're going to produce havoc in that ark? There's not even a place. You haven't even prepared a place for them to even go outside and relieve themselves. You're going to bring them into an ark? They said, Noah, you've lost your mind. But day after day, he and his family were faithful. But on that final day, Noah and his family disappeared they stepped into that ark the bible says god closed them in that ark and that's when it started to rain and Noah and his family are on the inside singing what a mighty god we serve 
Angels bow before him. Heaven and earth adores him. What a mighty God we serve. I wonder what the families were doing during the period when he was bringing the animals into the ark. Were they repenting? No. Were they seeking after God? No. They were interested in their own, their own affairs. They were eating. They were drinking. They were marrying. They were giving in marriage. They were still carousing and doing the things they had done previous to the preaching of, of Noah when he was telling them to repent. But then came the period when the man of God and his family disappeared. And when the waters came down, I can't imagine what that must have been like. Here you've laughed at that man all this time. Forty days and forty nights of rain. I've seen it rain out here where to me it seemed like ten days at a time we see some rain and then we get a little relief. You remember last spring and summer 2019 it seemed like we couldn't go a day and a half without rain. But imagine 40 days rain nonstop. Everything that they thought was leak-proof began to leak. That water's got to go somewhere. And as Noah was on the inside with his family and with those animals in that big, huge ark, I wonder what was going through their minds when suddenly as the water level began to rose, rise, that, that ark suddenly started moving like this because it was now beginning to float. He had no way to steer it. He wasn't a helmsman. He wasn't piloting the thing. The same waters that came into the earth to destroy all of mankind were also the same waters that bore him up over the earth and saved him. That man of God was in the ark of salvation and by the time it was over there was nobody left. Folks, not a baby made it. There wasn't a grandma hanging from the branches of a tree and there was nobody a year and 17 days later that emerged from the depths of a cavern and said, I'm the lone survivor of my family. The only ones that made it were Noah and his family. Judgment of God destroyed all of those that were here. Folks, it's not a pleasant story. And Jesus didn't cite it in Matthew 24 because it was supposed to be a pleasant story. The point behind it all is to inform each generation that they have no idea when the return of the Lord is going to come. How are you going to live your life? One day the trumpet of God is going to sound. The dead in Christ are going to rise. We which are alive and remain are going to take a step and then be caught up to be with the king. Paul calls it the catching away in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Once we're caught away, Jesus is going to walk to the Father's throne and grab that many sealed book from his Father's hand and begin to open those seals. When it occurs... He'll loose the four horsemen that'll go galloping through the earth. The Antichrist will be revealed. Multitudes of people in this world are going to revere him and worship him. 
He'll have his own false prophet doing miracle signs and wonders that'll be destined to mislead and guide people into every kind of error and wickedness you can think of. There'll be famines and shortages of food in the earth. The scripture even makes it very plain that there's going to be wars breaking out everywhere. Russia and their allies are going to invade Israel. The great battle is going to occur and the Bible says death is going to ride through the earth and a fourth part of the nations and people are going to lose their lives. But you know where we'll be? Safe in the presence of God. Safe in the ark of salvation with the king. And when it's all over, just like Noah finally descended in that ark and God opened it up so that the dove could fly out. And when it finally found a place to rest, Noah and his family stepped out of the ark and it was a new world. And God said, Noah, I want you to multiply and replenish the earth. You be the new Adam. One day at the battle of Armageddon, as the scripture says in Revelation 19, Jesus is going to return on a white horse. Millions of his saints are going to be with him. We will be included if we have already passed away and gone to heaven. And we'll come back to this world and it'll be a totally different place. Totally different place. Unlike anything we've ever experienced. The Bible says these folks in Noah's generation knew not until the flood came. By the time they realized the certainty of their doom, it was too late. By the time they realized it. There are a lot of ways in this world to perish. Drowning would not be one that I would desire. Second Peter makes it very plain it won't be by the flood next time. But he said, I saw the heavens and the earth devoured by a fire. This stuff will burn up next time. So people who are not listening today to preachers of righteousness do so because they despise words of warning. You want me to tell you what the love of God looks like? We think the love of God is just somebody coming, giving us a hug, and so, oh, you're just a wonderful person, and Jesus died for you. You know what the love of God looks like? It looks like somebody coming to you saying, you know, I really wish you would settle in and get serious about God. Yeah. Because God's love was so real under the old covenant that he sent the prophets to the kings and to the people and they put a bony finger under the nose of the folks and said, come be serious with God. Turn away from your idolatries. Be serious. Don't procrastinate. Procrastination is the thief of time. Don't waste your time. And this is what God is saying to this generation right now. People don't want to hear what God has to say in his word. But don't be discouraged by that. There are people like us that do want to hear what he's saying. And for everyone that wants to hear and for those that don't want to hear, we can tell them that the ark isn't that bad after all. There are people that ask Noah afterwards, I'm sure his grandchildren and great-grandchildren, they said, well, Papa, what was it like being in the ark with all of those animals? Was it noisy? 
And I'm sure he didn't talk to them about the noise of the animals. He spoke to them about the salvation of God and God's glory and how the Lord preserved them. And it's the same with you and it's the same with, we, with me. We preach the gospel because it gives the invitation to people, get on board the ark. Get on board the ark. Join the, join the ark of salvation and come and experience the peace of God. Now, if you've ever been on a cruise before, then you probably enjoyed all of the amenities that they have on the cruise. You get to eat as much as you want. And if you like all kinds of games and other things, they've got everything you can think of to keep your time occupied. In fact, you can get on some of these cruise ships and you don't even have to run into your family members. Yeah, you can go on there and have the time of your life. But as exciting as those are for people, I'm telling you, serving God is even better. Nothing gives us greater joy than serving God. The scripture says, in his presence is fullness of joy. At his right hand are pleasures forevermore. I like football like anybody. I enjoy a good basketball game. I'm happy if I can watch a little indie for all you NASCAR fans. I love to watch different kinds of sporting events, but nothing excites me as much as being able to hang out with the people of God. Talk about what God is doing in the earth and what the king is going to do when he comes. One day, folks, we're going to see him. And I want to hear him say, well done, you good and faithful servant. I don't want anybody out there in that parking lot to miss the coming of the Lord. I don't want anybody in here to become so distracted by the things of this world that they lose sight of what's eternal. Because if one of us in here today were to put our head on our pillow tonight and not see another sunrise, could we say we have lived our life the way we believe God wanted us to live it? That's the key, see? That's the key. I don't want anybody to ever have to stand up and lie about us when we pass away. But to be able to say, here lies a faithful man, a faithful woman. To be able to say to the kids and to the grandkids, if you ever want to see grandma, grandpa again, you're going to have to come the same way they came, by way of Calvary and walking with God. Amen? Amen. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. Folks, let's all stand. Praise God. <clears throat> Praise God. Praise God. Well, we trust everybody's going to have a wonderful week, and I know you folks are getting kind of kind of used to these 45-minute services. Don't you get too used to these? I'm telling you that now. Don't you, don't you get too used to these? But, you know, we, we, we definitely want to be, uh, I don't want to say respectful of individuals, some of you in here don't necessarily care so much about uh, saying hello or being within a few feet of a few people. Some others may. The ones in the parking lot very well may also, but just be respectful of other people. And if somebody happens to break into your 
area of space like pastors known to do, just walk in forgiveness. Just walk in forgiveness. My wife and I believe in herd immunity. We just get everybody in a herd infected and we'll be fine. Just joking. But let me pray. Let me bless you. Father, we're grateful this morning that we could fellowship with the saints of God. And Lord, we know there are many people that still are not able to meet across this nation. So we pray for them and we pray for the governors of those states and the mayors of the cities. Father, we even pray for those involved with law enforcement who have to be involved with enforcing things that they by their conscience, may not even be pleased to be involved with. But God, be with us all. Keep us all till we gather again next week. In Jesus' mighty name, and everyone said, amen, amen. Amen. I want to remind you folks out in the parking lot, someone's coming to get the tithing offering receptacle.